0: Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. Um, you were there Monday. You were there Monday at this historic event at Auschwitz with uh, the majority of the Knesset, which is still hard to believe uh, that so many members went uh, with a, a, a distinguished group of survivors, of course. Um, uh, very interesting speakers, you among them. Uh, Give us your impressions, what it was like being there Monday for this type of event.
1: Uh, Well, it was cold, (laughs) Uh, but I think uh, heartening in a number of respects. One, uh, I think going to Auschwitz is always important as a reminder of our responsibility today, of the failures of the past. That the point of looking back, and I made these remarks uh, in my speech to the group, is not to dwell on the sorrows, but to spare future generations the same trials and tribulations. That our obligation of looking back is in order to look forward. And going there is not to get lost in history, but to learn the lessons. And this is what we learn in the Chumash, we learn in, in Sefer Brachus, especially, but all, all throughout all of our Hagim, everything, is meant to be experiential, to learn the lessons and experience it. And being there and reliving it and thinking as we stood in the cold, bitter cold weather, that people were there without shoes, without clothing, and and survived. It's it's unbelievable to think of the power of, of the human beings who did so And at the same time, to remember what took place there and how the world was silent, and we learn more and more of the facts even now, as the Times reported, forty-two thousand camps existed, work camps, installations of various kinds. So, for people to have claimed then that they didn't know when these places were in every part of of the of Europe where the Nazis occupied, uh, the the a message is so important, but I also saw something that was terrifically inspiring, and that was on the plane, uh, where there were two planes with, as you said, the majority of uh, half the members of the of the um, of the Knesset, but also half a dozen ministers and many other officials and former members of Knesset, and they got along so well, huh. the camaraderie between Haredim and Meretz between people of every party that we always see pictured as killing each other and fighting each other and expressing their differences. In the morning on the flight, it was too early to daven when it took off. So on the plane, every, the people who, who would do so davened. And it was amazing to see the respect shown to them. I, I mean, I put on Tollison's film and the people Dobbin in their seats. They had somebody who got up to say to say Kadusha and the Kaddish and other things. And everybody, the people who are deemed so secular and anti-religious, uh, treated it with great respect. And the people who were dominating did it with such dignity and, and care and concern about how it would impact others. And throughout the day, you saw the camaraderie, the way people felt about one another. And they told me, you know, when we get on the floor to Knesset, it's one thing, but off the floor, we are friends. Mm-hmm. And you see, all of a sudden, they were united by the experience in, in Auschwitz to remind of our common history. And it's, it's very important that we, you know, put aside for one day at least the differences and focus on what we have in common because of our obligation to future generations will only be met by acting together and in concert, instead of wasting all our energies on fighting one another.
0: I think that's a human trait in general. The further away you are from the area of contention, the more likely it is that you'll get along, you know? That's true. And it works that way across the board, not just in the Jewish world. But you're making such an important point. Uh, I was uh, was reading about it, and uh, I, I think I read correctly. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Was there an Arab MK at the event? Tell me about him. I mean, one.
1: And, the, the, and expressed regret that others didn't, uh, didn't join. He said he made an effort to get others to join. Um, but there were people of, of every walk of life. And by the way, there were 30 European parliamentarians who came, as well as a delegation led by Eric Cantor and included uh, Carolyn Maloney from New York and Daryl Issa from California were in attendance, They're representing the Congress of the United States and uh, obviously there were people of every ethnicity uh, participating and, and uh, religious leaders from every group uh, imaginable who are, were visible uh, during the program as well uh, and Hazen Adler of the great synagogue in Jerusalem uh, uh, said the Tfilot and the Ke'amale, and there were many others uh, who participated in the course of the day, there were, were a number of, uh, of events, including uh, one session just of parliamentarians. Each one was allowed one minute, though no, nobody adhered to it, the one minute, <laughs> but <laughs> the Israelis and, and the Europeans alike, and they alternated each one being able to, to, to say something. And some of the statements were really quite remarkable. Others were remarkable by what they didn't say, many of them by what they did. And, you know, coming in the midst of. Of a week when we saw so many instances of BDS, of the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions movement coming to the fore, it, you know, it reminds us that that, that the uh, um, declaring c- the canal this neo-Nazi like salute, uh, and this year, the year of the canal, the the um, uh, boycotting by Danish firms, by other firms, uh, Dutch firm uh, of Israel, the uh, of course the big controversy around SodaStream that. We're seeing again what happened 70 years ago, and I'm not drawing an analogy because there is one big difference, and that's the state of Israel. But the state of Israel now is the target as the collective Jew, but the same themes, the same anti-Semitic uh, core is visible in this, and, and it's becoming so widespread, the, the practice of, of BDS, that a demonstration can take, care, take place in France of thousands of people Screaming, marching in the streets, that that the, the Jews do not belong in France. I mean, it's it, it, it's too strong a message not to be able not to be seen, and that people shouldn't take note and understand. What is our obligation in the face of this? And I told the, especially to the Europeans, I said, you know what? I'm tired of memorials to dead Jews time that the world stood up for living Jews and for a living and vibrant Jewish state, we have enough memorials already. I don't want any more tears shed for us. I want them to stand up for us as human beings, as living human beings, and the, the uh, re- seeing the resurrection of so many themes that we thought were dead, that were relegated to the past, the rise of all these extremist parties, the unwillingness of so many to face up to them and to, to, to state clearly what they are, who they are, uh, uh, and to condemn them, is disheartening, just as the cases where people did, and what uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson did, is encouraging and uh, reaffirming.
0: Well said. Well um... I, you know that I've uh, never been there, although you encouraged me to uh, to pay a visit, and this may sound like a crazy question, but I'm so curious. Is Auschwitz and the memorial and the, the area there any different than the first time you were there? I mean, does the memorial grow? Are things added, or essentially, it's the same as the first time you ever stepped foot there?
1: It's more or less the same. There's been some work to restore, but... Uh... Uh, other than the restoration, nothing. No, doesn't change. Uh, but to be honest, that the displays are at Auschwitz and they are overwhelming and moving. But the starkness of Birkenau and this vast area, and where the crematorium, you see remnants uh, of it. You see the the place where the selection was made. As you walk in, and you see the vastness of the of these uh, endless bunkers, uh, of, uh, barracks. The, the I think is is even more stark than than Auschwitz uh, they are you know with a walking distance of one another and it's, it's a cold long walk but a time for contemplation and consideration of what what people went through what, what was like there what happened there it's beyond human imagination to, to be able to understand or comprehend today fully what what the what went on there
0: how but eerie that's
1: why it's so important
0: How eerie is it walking by the selection area that must be just
1: it's awful but to stand by the crematory there's one that was imploded that most were destroyed but this one was remembered and and we remember you know there were courageous people who risked their lives and often even gave their lives to save Jews just as the overwhelming indifference and perpetrators uh, have to be remembered. And we have to remember the living communities that were there, what their lives were like. And the message, and I, I said that you can hear it from the cold ovens and from these blood-soaked fields and the barren barracks, that the voices call out and say, don't forget, learn the lessons, don't be complacent, stand up, speak up, because that's the lesson of history. You can't appease it. You can't compromise with it. You can't wish it away. You have to confront it, and when we see it, whether it's in our own country, like the American Studies Association, or now this boycott kind of, on SodaStream and so many things, and with it, with the number of NGOs, non-governmental organizations that are behind this movement, that, that is uh, led by the Palestinian Authority uh, figures, and and the the money coming from European governments to fund these activities, that. We have to, t- to understand, what is our responsibility if you can't just turn another cheek? I said, we've run out of ch- cheeks to turn.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and finally, I, I excuse my fascination with this, but the Arab MK, does he go back home to great criticism or not?
1: Uh, he was criticized, uh, and, and the fact that he couldn't inspire anybody else to go was, uh, was of course, noteworthy, too.
0: Right, understood. But in other words, it's a, sac- it's a political sacrifice for him. It's not easy for someone like that to go and make a move like this.
1: No, it isn't easy, and right. it's not easy for uh, some who teach in Muslim countries, you know, that people came to come to Yad Vashem to train from China, from other countries, but also from Muslim countries, who train to become teachers of the Holocaust and, and, and go back to their home countries and, and speak about it. And, and try to educate the next generation, even if it's only part of it or it's more part of
0: it. All right. Pretty amazing. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Round the world on the web, jmnam.org. Tomorrow night, I've Rummy with Saturday Night Seagull beginning at 10 o'clock on our stream. Sunday morning, Mattis has JM Sunday between 7 and 9. I'll be on in the 8 o'clock hour and give everyone last-minute details regarding our kosher halftime show that everyone seems to be talking about all right speaking at a halftime show we uh, spoke to yona lloyd yesterday from soda stream you mentioned of course the uh, bds movement the oxfam and scarlett johansson essentially oxfam said to scarlett johansson choose us or choose israel right that's essentially what it came down to absolutely and, and she and chose and israel
1: and she said that that i choose israel and if you look at some of the interviews with her uh, people do not know that she is Jewish.
0: Yeah, Her mother's a Jewish girl from the Bronx. <laughs>
1: and, uh, right. That every girl from the Bronx is known as Scarlet Giant. <laughs>
0: I said her mother's a Jewish girl from the Bronx.
1: It's common <laughs> uh, sort of uh,
0: be, um, be careful. The, uh, all right, we'll talk about that later. Go ahead. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I think that, number one, I hope people will write her and thank her and will let others know and those who've joined the condemnation. Soda Stream has factories all over the world. In this one factory is in Maladumim, Adumim, which is a suburb of Jerusalem, connected part of the Greater Jerusalem area, a city of thirty thousand people. In it is a factory where there, I think, there are a thousand employees. Half are Palestinian, meaning coming from the West Bank areas under the PA. Half are uh, Israelis living in uh, in Adumim and other areas. That a- Arabs and the Jews get paid the same wages, they're treated well, every interview with the people who work there praises the, the care they get, the, the way that they're treated, that there's no discrimination. Uh, they could close down the place in, in Dumim and Mr. Berenbaum, who's the head of it, recently said that he's not a supporter of settlements, he doesn't care about settlements, but he said this is a matter of principle now, I'm not going to let them dictate to us where we can put a factory. And the, the idea that, that factories exist in dictatorships all over the world, that uh, slave labor is used, you don't see any kind of protest of this magnitude and this kind a- against them. And even those in, in disputed territories, in Cyprus, let's say, or other places around the world, it doesn't take place. And here, because she was, was uh, chosen as the spokeswoman, she became the target of of this heavy criticism and threats of boycott, et cetera, and she stood her ground, and and I think history will record it as it being a very important uh, moment in the in this campaign, uh, because too often people succumb to it, and, and she's not the first, by the way, of Oxford. Oxingham was was created as the Ax, uh, Oxford Committee against the poverty or uh, famine, famine right. in the early nineteen forties, and it is, has a long history of anti-israel bias a long history this is not something that came out of the blue when in, in, in regard to it and in fact the french courts ruled this week against the boycotters and said that they had to pay soda stream uh... for the damage done to their sales wow uh... you know new york the new york senate to their credit passed uh, a, a, a law against the uh, boycott right and the the, the um, there were other um, uh, efforts or legal efforts all over to try and counter the BDS movement in the same way that is it is expanding, and that Oxfam, which is supposed to be doing good, has lent itself to to this and said that it's inconsistent for her to be with SodaStream and at the same time uh, with Oxfam. They don't look into the record of all the others who who speak out and. Actors and actresses whose personal lives and whose activities certainly would be legitimate reason to, to uh, not to have them associated with a with a product okay. or with with uh, any of these causes. Yet that doesn't bother them very
0: much. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of hypocrisy there, huh? And 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 on, on the subject you you alluded to somewhat when we mentioned that uh, her name is Johansson, yet her mother's a Jewish girl from the Bronx. Um, I don't know. And again, this really may not be your area, so I don't I don't anticipate a direct answer, but just a feeling that I could tell you many people have out there. If, in fact, the son of the prime minister of Israel is dating somebody of different background, let's put it that way. Uh, you know, you know, let's assume we're all, you know, somewhat social libertarians in this and that we're not telling anybody what to do or not to do, although we'd love to have some influence religiously on, you know, on everybody. Uh, the bottom line is, I just don't know if we're comfortable with the Prime Minister of Israel bringing it up or being proud of it or extolling it as. You know, as something positive. I, I think again, not asking you to, to give him our piece of advice, but would you agree that the best thing may have just been if he would not have touched on the subject?
1: Well, he denies having said it, and he, he said he did not say it to the thing, and he said that he, that they're not dating. They only studied together because she's in, in university in the same university where, where his son is studying. so he has uh, uh, indicated at least publicly. That uh, there is no chance. Uh, Mr. Derry came out very critical, and he responded that uh, that the reports were not accurate, and that uh, he's not dating this girl, this non-Jewish girl. Uh, so I, I think we have to ascertain the facts, uh, but. It's always better when people are careful with what they say, because you open a Pandora's box, it's very hard to close.
0: So now I'm going to have to call my friend among the Israeli paparazzi and find out if it's true or not, because if anybody would know, they would know, wouldn't they, Malcolm? You can be sure that they're
1: not going to be seen anywhere publicly together.
0: (laughs) That's for sure at this point. What's with the dust-up between Naftali Bennett and Bibi? Even after the apology, I'm confused as to what really happened. Could you explain?
1: Yes, it's very confusing because <laughs> he apologized. No, he didn't. And he um, said he was sorry. No, I didn't say I was. Sorry. I was sorry that he was offended. And what was he I,
0: apologizing for? Supposedly, I, I
1: didn't apologize. But if you want to interpret it as an apology, that's your business. And the prime minister says, "Look, I think it's an apology. I heard the word. It's good enough for me to, to back down." And you know, they've come into it's a very interesting relationship because remember that Bennett worked for right uh, BB as chief of staff and. Uh, he is highly critical because B.B. appeared at one point last week to say uh, one thing, and then he said that uh, another thing about the settlements, one, one instance that uh, everybody will remain in place, no Jew will be moved, and that he's not going to re- uh, remove Jews from their homes, and then seemed to indicate, well, they can live in Jewish communities under Palestinian authority. Right. And uh, Bennett came out very strongly about it. Uh, later on, we had Martin Indick giving briefings reported in the press that 75 to 80 percent of the settlers will remain in their communities under the agreement given the land swaps, i.e., that those territories will be associated with Israel while Israel will have to compensate the Palestinian Authority with similar uh, amounts of land. Uh, so the dust up was reflective of a of a. Increasingly tense situation in the face of the reports that a framework agreement will be presented by Secretary Kerry, to which both sides uh, can express their reservations, and uh, both sides have already expressed reservations. The Palestinians saying, well, if the reports are true of what's in it, it's a non-starter, and Netanyahu has expressed uh, concern about other parts of it. Uh, but on the other end, there's ongoing consultations, and part of the agreement, I think, is that the united states would put forward the proposals there'll be something that both for each one not to like and then that would be the basis for the negotiations but it covers according to reports on index uh, conversation which i did participate in but um, it was off the record so i don't discuss except what what i read in the paper right. and that is that it dealt with territory Refugees, and he, he said that the Jewish refugees compensation for Jewish refugees as well, um, about uh, um, uh, end of claims, which is a very important uh, part of thing, a recognition of a Jewish state and of a Palestinian state, uh, but the Jewish state of Israel, uh, that these are the critical factors that will be obviously the security arrangements and what. The focus has been now is on the Jordan Valley, which looms ever larger, especially given events in Iraq and in Syria. You know, Israel, as was pointed out this week, has is totally surrounded by Islamist and jihadist groups as much as Israel's security situation has improved with the situation in Egypt, with Syria not being a threat right now, with Hezbollah not being a threat. But there are 170,000 missiles aimed at Israel today, and... The the presence of jihadi groups in Lebanon, obviously Hezbollah, in Syria with hundred thousand more uh, of them, and Al Qaeda threatening to to come towards Israel next after they remove Assad, which they haven't done, and doesn't look like they'll be able to do very soon, uh, and of course in Iraq, and and uh, you have a million refugees, Syrian refugees in Jordan along the border of uh, of Israel, so the. Um, you know, the security situation is of great concern. And in that regard, the presence of Israeli troops, and that became a big issue because it sounded like criticism and Yalom's criticism of the proposals that this could be done by technology, with right. unmanned flights and detectors and stuff. And they said the only way you can do it is by having a physical presence on the ground.
0: right? Uh, So going back to the uh, Bennett Netanyahu question is, first of all, before we even do that, with everything you just said, why was Indic so positive about the direction of the peace talks? I mean, did did he he feel he just had to give, you know, like a a positive impression to everybody in terms of the future of the, uh, or the potential, rather, of the peace talks? Well, I
1: don't think it was was as positive as it was descriptive uh, of what, of where it stands and... uh, then the reaction to the to the plan is what's going to be critical to see whether the future negotiations and it'll have to run past April obviously which is the deadline yeah. that it had been set uh, as they work out all of these details I'm not sure that they can work out the details and I and I think he's not sure and expressed it that they can do it. it it depends on the will of the parties but he felt he felt and their general assessment is that you are a unique moment now uh, Hamas is weakened in Gaza. Uh, and that, that is, by the way, a big question that Israel could say, look, until you're in control of Gaza, we can't negotiate because you're talking for half, uh, half the territory, and then we're still left with, it, with a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you have an end of claims when, when you have uh, part of the party you're in, in negotiating with not under your control and still committed to violence and to, to rocketry? against Israel.
0: And I read somewhere this morning that as uh, as, as weak as Hamas is, uh, the rockets from Gaza is one of the worst months ever recently January in terms of the uh, number that came raining down on Israel.
1: It is true and the Iron Dome was extremely successful um, that uh, uh, but if you you see the situation they are on the ground, the Hamas may be weakened, but they are manufacturing their own rockets now inside the country. They don't have to import them. Uh, they have ten thousand rockets, and many of them can hit uh, Tel Aviv, and even uh, as we saw in the last conflict, uh, Jerusalem. Right. Uh,
0: so on Bennett Netanyahu, just politically, I saw that Bennett today would receive seventeen seats, significant number. Obviously, I mean, so none of this ever affect. I mean, at least in the last few months, none of this infighting with Bibi ever affects his numbers or his popularity in Israel.
1: Uh, Bibi's popularity? No, Bennett's or popularity. That- and it's yes, because Bennett uh, is, is appealing to mainstream Israelis. Uh, he he addresses uh, issues, and I think uh, it's often true in Israel that people say things to pollsters, but when it comes, to, you know, they tell the truth to pollsters and they lie at the polls. That it doesn't always translate into the same numbers. Uh, I think Netanyahu is not unpopular. Uh, people are concerned. They they, they 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 don't like a lot of these dust-ups and, and situations. And um, Bennett is a new face, and he's just he's really a novice in in the political scene. But as opposed to Lapid, whose numbers have tanked, right, uh, his numbers have gone up.
0: Right. Uh, by the way, you saw Elliot Abrams uh, has joined the uh, the voices to get the release of Jonathan Pollard.
1: That is true. Uh, as have others uh, who who were not previously uh, uh, vocal, and um, I hope it'll help. I don't know that any one name makes a difference, right. but maybe the collectivity of voices that have now spoken out
0: will will change something. You know, Erdogan essentially has chosen, or uh, let's put it this way: he had it looked like he had the um, uh, the choice of heading toward the west or ho- heading toward Iran. We mentioned this last week. And last week we said he looks like he's heading toward Iran. This week, it really looks like he's making a final decision and putting all his eggs in one basket as he continues uh, meeting with Iran and, and forming an even stronger relationship with them.
1: Well, he, he was in, in, in Tehran this week, and I think that he is playing around and in part turning to Tehran because his uh, effort to impose a policy, as you remember, you know, zero conflicts. With his neighbors. Uh, He is in conflict with every neighbor, including Tehran, including Iran, but he's looking to them because his outreach to Egypt was rejected. Obviously, his relationship with Assad and with Syria has collapsed, and they reportedly even bombed this week uh, al-Qaeda operatives. They have thousands of terrorists based in in, um, Turkey, and Israeli sources revealed that there are Three bases in three different areas of Turkey, who have then uh, easy access to Europe. These are Al Qaeda bases, training camps for people to fight in Syria. But they go in and out, and they have ready access to to uh, Europe. And this is an issue, as you know, I've raised for a long time, for two years now, that there's no attention or not enough attention being paid to the. Perhaps thousands who carry foreign passports, European and American passports included, large numbers who will who are going to be free to go back now as trained killers and terrorists. And we see the numbers of people who've been killed. We see the devastation that whole areas have been flattened in Damascus, and in homes by the government and perhaps by by the rebels. And the rebels continue to fight each other as as well as that they they fight uh, Assad. Uh, perhaps even more fighting. Uh, each other of late, and the, the developments in, um, in Syria w- with the uh, stalling, for instance, in getting rid of the chemical weapons, less than 5% of the chemical weapons have actually been turned over so, so far. There was 1,300 tons in two shipments that went to Latakia, but otherwise, they have not impl- implemented uh, uh, the agreement. And the the stalling over this should be of great concern because it, it shows that the that the West's threats are not today taken seriously enough to expedite the return. The, they will use the, the excuse of the fighting, but the fact is that when they want to move it, they can. And the satellites that show now how large swaths of of uh, of their capital and of other cities have been completely obliterated in in this. Uh, in this fighting so it's you know it's really
0: serious the united states essentially has just remained um... middle of the road now with turkey have they uh, have they is there a need for the u.s. to be stronger against them or to express their disappointment with them or to sever some ties with him? I mean what what's the what's what would you say today is the status of the u.s. turkey relationship
1: i think it's cooler than it was for a while as you know he was the foreign leader that the president most often spoke to, Erdogan, uh, much to the consternation of, of some of the people in Europe. But he, uh, I think that that relationship is cool. They're, they're upset with what he's done both internally and externally. Uh, but he, and, and he continues to, to play that role with the subjugation of his people because he wants to, to be elected as uh, president and with, uh, with much broader powers. And uh, there are people who will, who will object to it, so we could see the continuation of some of the internal test intentions and suppression in uh, in Turkey, but they they don't seem to be held to account by uh, uh, by anybody.
0: Were you at all disappointed that the uh, State of the Union address barely touched on foreign policy?
1: No, this has happened in the past. You know Presidents have different uh, emphasis uh, to to their remarks and this time it was on the domestic agenda challenging congress uh, he, he made one strong statement uh, towards Israel, he made a statement about the Palestinians, and uh, nothing no broke obviously no new ground in, in those comments.
0: As we speak, American diplomacy is supporting Israelis and Palestinians as they engage in the difficult but necessary talks to end the conflict there, to achieve dignity and an independent state for Palestinians and lasting peace and security for the state of Israel, a Jewish state that knows America will always be at their side. Here's the paragraph I want your reaction to. And it is American diplomacy, backed by pressure, that has halted the progress of Iran's nuclear program and rolled back parts of that program for the first time in a decade. As we gather here tonight, Iran has begun to eliminate its stockpile of higher levels of enriched uranium. Do the truth meter for us on this paragraph.
1: Well, first on the first paragraph you read, I, I'm told, and it's hard to discern it when you're watching it because I thought that there was strong applause to the very strong language he used, addressed to address the Congress not to have additional uh, sanctions against Iran and its threat to, to veto it. But I'm told, in fact, that was not the case, and that the strongest line, other than the his descriptions of the soldier at the end, uh, was that line about Israel getting a, uh, the strongest uh,
0: That will always be uh, at their side, right?
1: Applause, right. Yeah. Uh, now, in terms of uh, the claims...
0: Yeah, so this, since you mentioned it, let me let me just finish it then. This is the second part of that. It's not installing advanced centrifuges. Unprecedented inspections help the world verify every day that Iran is not building a bomb. And with our allies and partners, we're engaged in negotiations to see if we can peacefully achieve a goal we all share, preventing Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon.
1: Okay, so the Israelis have uh, said this week that maybe they're set back six weeks. In fact, we see that the economy is improving, that the busting of the sanctions is, is happening, or undermining, I should say, even though the United States continue to impose. The estimates we heard from one expert this week was that they will cost not this uh, $7 billion benefit to Iran, but 20 to $40 billion in benefits, but much more is the psychological and the, the fact that you have companies flocking to, 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 to uh, Iran that they can ship because now the insurance, the restrictions on insurance, which is never discussed, but is very critical on the the, uh, shipping of of, uh, uh, oil. Um, And then they can sell the petrochemicals, and they can uh, also auto parts, the other things, which really do make a huge difference, not just internally in Iran with employment and the the message that it sends, but externally uh, uh, as well. So when you look at at the specifics, the fact is that you have 19,000 centrifuges, not one is removed. They can develop the R and D for the next generation of centrifuges. They work on ballistic missiles, on the weaponization. All of these things continue, and and the highly enriched the twenty percent is not is not all removed, and they have a huge stockpile of three and a half percent with the new centrifuge and with other things. Once the, the restrictions are lifted, that can be quickly uh, energized. And the the debate is whether it will take them a month, two months, right. or will take them six months. Right. That's the vast difference between. Uh, the assessments that people have today. So to describe it as if the the program was dismantled, nothing is dismantled, and they said this week that they're not going to dismantle anything. I mean, they're, they're making clear statements about their intent and their reading of of the agreement. And now
0: that they know that are no further sanctions coming,
1: well that, that well,
0: <laughs> why he'd say that
1: will, he just doesn't want to do it now because he thinks it'll be an excuse for them. And I think he is peeling away some members of Congress from this. Uh, I must say that Senator Schumer has been, uh, and Senator Menendez, uh, Senator Kirk, who have been leaders of it, have been very stalwart on it. And uh, Senator Reid actually is a strong supporter, but he's under tremendous pressure. So they're saying essentially let it go for six months. Um, the fact is that the legislation doesn't go into effect uh, for, for months anyway. So I think that it could be worked out. But, uh, but the president making this confrontation rather than a confrontation with Iran. Yep. The central focus and yep. the, you know, members of Congress are not acting, despite the administration, are trying to reinforce it because it's the sanctions that got the Iranians to the table in the first place. All right.
0: All right. I hate to do this with only a minute left, but uh, there will be new elections in Egypt. That's now official, right?
1: Yes. And Sisi will be a candidate, and he's very popular. Uh, and, you know, people talk about a dictatorship, but if you look at the votes that have taken place, the, the, the generals have been getting very broad popular support.
0: All right. All right, we'll talk more about that next week. Hey, it's Rosh Chodesh Adar, Malcolm. You know what that means? A great—that's right, great month for Jewish. It looked like the Jewish people were finished. Remember those days? It looked like the Jewish people were finished in the month of Adar. I looked... don't
1: remember the original, <laughs> but I've read about it. Uh,
0: Have you read about it
1: <laughs> every year? <laughs> <laughs> but but again, the lessons. What is the lesson of 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 The Achdus call is calling you. When all the Jews came together, they could beat Haman. It wasn't one part of them. And again, the lesson from what I saw this week that if the Knesset members from across the spectrum can. Uh, we sat together not only on a cramped, economy only plane, that where people, the seats were very narrow, to be sure. And uh, unfortunately, one of the other planes that, were, that flew was delayed for five hours. So those people became really. Familiar with one <laughs> Having spent all that time <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure that that plane was going to make it uh, if there uh, uh, people were so upset and they were they couldn't get out of the plane They were stuck on it because it was too cold and uh, whatever it was a mechanical problem uh, but the, uh, I think that it was an inspiring message not only what people said and, and some of the things that took place but to, to see this camaraderie which I've never seen manifest in this way.
0: Amazing. May we all heed your words about Jewish unity. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. A good Rosh Chodesh. We'll speak again next week.